0: Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host Dr. Ashley Mack and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of ifixyoursciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. With the evolution of uh, and legalization of cannabis, there's a lot of uh, speculation and concern on whether or not the use of cannabis can be helpful for conditions like sciatica or conditions like chronic pain. And as I had the opportunity to move to over to California, I became even more curious on the uses and the applications of cannabis into the healthcare world. And so today I have two very special guests, physical therapists, but also um folks who are actually very knowledgeable in the cannabis industry in regards to how it can be applied to medicine and so today we have Dr Ellen Anderson and Dr Lori Zucker physical therapists adjunct professors over from Rutgers University and they're going to talk all about this and how it applies to how we can manage pain so um Anderson, Dr Zucker thank you so much for your time this morning I know that you have a very busy schedule I'm so excited to be able to have you share all of your knowledge with the world
1: it really is a pleasure to speak with you today ashley and um we're looking forward to this conversation
0: perfect yeah and so let's jump right into it Um, if you wouldn't mind could you tell us a little bit more about yourselves and how you got involved with say the cannabis industry because there's a lot of stigmas behind it but with your with your background as medical professionals transitioning and being able to say this is a very useful tool Tell us a little bit more about how you got to that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
2: <laughs> so
1: um,
2: it, you know it's a long story because Ellen and I have been partners for for many years now uh, in in teaching about yoga, uh, which which at the time that we began doing this was also a complementary approach to healthcare. And now, of course, it's fairly mainstream and, and, and they teach it in some PT schools and things like that. But as we became, we began to realize that cannabis was coming to New Jersey, that it was already legal in several states. Between the two of us, we talked about how could this be uh, Im- impacting our patients? What could happen? People were already using cannabis what did we know about it and what what was taught in schools and we began to educate ourselves about the topic and saw how it worked nicely with this idea that we uh we like to bring complementary approaches to the awareness of healthcare practitioners and so that's we began probably a little over five years ago
1: yeah it just felt important that especially since legalization for adult use marijuana was coming to New Jersey, that we learn and educate others about what this is going to look like in a rehabilitation population. People that are coming to physical and occupational therapists because of pain and dysfunction. And if people are using uh, cannabis to manage their pain when they walk into the clinic, like what do we need to look out for Um, and how could we advise them about cannabis, just like we might advise them to when to take, you know, Tylenol, you know, before, during, or after a PT session. So that's how we started.
0: I love the fact that you noticed this trend, this evolution, and rather than saying, we're going to stay true to our guns, you asked, well, how, how is this going to impact the industry? I think Having forward thinking like that is what allows us to push the the evolution and progress of healthcare specifically um and you're actually seeing this now uh in the artificial intelligence space there's a lot of developments in the artificial intelligence space but a lot of people are or a lot of clinicians are looking at it as a uh, from a from a naysayer standpoint and so it closes off uh the ability to use it for good um whereas it's a, it's another tool and when you approach it all saying, how is this going to affect it? How is, how is this going to affect us? How is this going to affect our patients? But also, how is this going to affect our treatment? It allows us to actually take the next step in our evolution as clinicians to be able to help more people. And so I really appreciate that. And so when it comes to the use of cannabis, um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of misconceptions. Um, I think a lot of people used to think that Uh, cannabis itself was a way for people to just get high, escape the real world. Um, interesting enough with the books, uh, say Michael Pollan wrote about, um, this is the war on drugs. The evolution of all of this is very, very different, uh, than what people have actually imagined. So could you explain to us what are some of the, like what cannabis is? So that way we can all be on the same page, but then also its benefits and also some of its use cases.
1: Sure. So, cannabis is a plant. um, And we typically think of uh, the term cannabis as including marijuana, but also hemp products. And hemp can have THC, which is the um, medication that can create that sense of euphoria. Um, But it's in very low doses, or very low percentages. And In the marijuana plant, we see higher percentages of THC, which is that chemical which creates that sense of euphoria. What hemp provides is hemp provides CBD um, in quite uh, large percentages. Marijuana also also includes CBD, and so we can have products that Produce or plants that produce CBD um, and very low amounts of THC, or especially what's happened over the past few decades is that there's been a cultivation of marijuana plants that have a higher percentage of THC and a lower percentage of CBD.
2: So I wanted to add, Ashley, you mentioned Michael Pollan and, and everything that Ellen said is exactly right. When I have to explain this to my patients who, who grew up, let's say in the just say no era with a fear of, Oh my gosh, you know, marijuana is going to be a gateway drug. And soon I'm, I'm clearly going to be a heroin addict. And I am trying to, to change that narrative a little bit. You know, we have many, many medications that are plant based, many morphine you know, aspirin, things like that. And I try to ground my conversation about what is cannabis is exactly what Ellen said. It's a plant. And it turns out that there is something in that plant that could could be useful for us. Now, it may have been used for something else, maybe to get high or to, you know, recreationally escape the world, just exactly like alcohol might be used. But as a medication, we might be able to use this to help with different symptoms. And so I try to ground it in the fact that it's a plant-based medicine and and keep the conversation in the medical arena. And so if somebody were to say to me, what is cannabis? I would probably say a plant-based medicine. It also has other things. But so, I mean, people abuse many things, and I'm not so sure that if you decided one day to let's say not drink a few beers or a glass of wine and decide to use uh, cannabis, that's, a, that's an adult choice that we make. But from a medicinal standpoint, we need to think about cannabis as a medicine and how, do, how would we integrate that into patient care for ourselves and for others.
0: Absolutely. I think um, there was an episode that I had a couple of weeks ago um, with uh, Angela Ardolino, who was talking about specifically how um, a lot of other uh, chemical compounds came from plants and say pharmaceutical companies found that compound and then wanted to produce it on a larger scale, which led to say morphine and aspirin and stuff like that. And so being able to see the true natural source of this medication found in this uh, amazing plant um, it's it's really great, and I love the fact that you said anything can be abused, and so it is important for us to recognize that, that this is a tool, and the tools in in mankind can either be used for good, for medicine, or for or can be misused, um, and so that and that's going to be with any sort of tool that is available to us. So let's talk about the like when it comes to the medicine world, um, let's talk about some of the use cases. And so one of the big things that has come out has been the effectiveness and use of cannabis for, say, conditions like chronic pain. We'll talk a little bit more about sciatica in a second, but chronic pain itself. Uh, when we reach the chronic stage, so instead of having to, like, say you fell and scraped your knee and using THC, that's not going to necessarily be effective. But if we reach the longer stages, this is actually something where something magical, I f- I believe something magical can happen. So can you share with us a little bit more about um, how, say, cannabis could work in conditions with people uh, condi- or pe- for people who are experiencing conditions like chronic pain? Um, what have you seen Uh, From an effectiveness standpoint, and I know that, uh, you know, if there's any research that you've come across that can really say, you know, this is really helpful.
1: Well, you're exactly right, Ashley, that the top four reasons for people seeking out medical marijuana, number one is chronic pain, sleep, anxiety, and depression. And then we have, you know, um, arthritis and multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease, But if we think about it, all of those are chronic conditions. So when we speak about adult use of marijuana for medical purposes, what the information we're going to find is about the use in people who have chronic conditions where they want to change their quality of life to be able to mitigate their pain or mitigate their sleep problems. Um, And so Lori and I really like to speak about that in particular, um, because people will throw at us. But did you see the latest study about, you know, um, VTAC that happens in people or atrial fib that happens in people that are using cannabis? And maybe, yes, we saw it and maybe, no, we didn't see it. But when I do go and I look, I realize that these are people who are using cannabis recreationally. These are people who are heavy users, and they may have actually started when they were quite young. But what we see when people make a choice um, for managing their chronic pain or their sleep problems, it's a very different use of cannabis. Um, And the current research is somewhat supportive of that. Lori, did you want to add anything like from your perspective? So, you know, when you mentioned chronic pain, I, as a clinician,
2: I, I think because of the language of pain that we talk about now is nosoplastic pain, which means that there are, if somebody has been suffering or, or challenged with something chronic, there are changes in their brain, there are changes in their body, in the receptors and It's we don't yet have in Western pharmaceuticals the exact right medication to make that go away or to even mitigate some of that. It becomes polypharmacy. It becomes let me give you a sleeping pill. Let me give you something that you could use. Yes or no for this kind of pain. Oh, you might also need a muscle relaxant because once you're in a chronic situation, we all know as treating therapists that. That things radiate. And now you can come in one day complaining of a back problem or complaining of a of a you know a sciatic problem, whatever it is, but actually there's many factors to that, including what Ellen said: sleep, depression, challenges in quality of life. The thing about cannabis, and you use the word, you know, sort of magical. I, I I'm afraid of that word because that means that people are just gonna jump to it, maybe instead of actually looking to see if they're, if this is the right thing for them, but you're right in that perhaps this medication, which actually impacts your endocannabinoid system, a physiologic system we have in our body, and that system creates homeostasis. It, it, it has been shown repeatedly in the literature that the endocannabinoid system has to do with keeping things balanced and if you're in a chronic pain situation you're out of balance and let's try to get you back into balance and so small doses as ellen said small doses of cannabis and that might be thc and cbd just cbd maybe just thc all manner of things we have to look at them but it it will impact the endocannabinoid system It is not something in a chronic pain situation where we're looking to just make the next 10 minutes feel better. You're trying to impact the system across time. Now, then, of course, it might be, hey, I just have to get through this workday and I really have just so much discomfort. Then there's perhaps a THC preparation that will help you with that particular episode episode, but that's not going to fix the chronic pain. What might help your chronic pain is low doses over a long period of time, rebalancing or supporting a system that's out of
0: whack. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the sciatica protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. It is simple to start, and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the-sciatica-protocol dash dash and fill out the nine-question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. Yeah, this really useful information because I think a lot of people will misunderstand the, the mechanisms. And, and I think one of the great things about cannabis is that it addresses multiple systems, but especially the endocannabinoid system, which addresses homeostasis, which for the most part, people who are dealing with chronic pain all they want to do is just live a normal life. All they want to do is just return back to normal. They don't necessarily, um, want to, want to get high. They, they just want to be able to return back to their baseline. And so if a tool like cannabis can actually help restore that balance, then I'm excited for the opportunity to use cannabis to be able to restore that equilibrium. You brought up this concept of dosing, um, which I think there's a lot of, confusion out there because now that, uh, especially in California, recreational use has been available for a long period of time, uh, even just expanding upon the research, the limitations are trying to understand what's the right dosage or even what's the right delivery method. And so can you tell us a little bit more about some of the Things that you've seen when it comes to dosing, ingestion, smoking, consuming oils, all those various different things. I know it's a very big loaded question, but (laughs) that was one thing that uh, we uh, when I came across in my research, it was kind of hard to kind of get a standard of dosing and ingestion.
1: Yes, it's extraordinarily challenging. So I'm I'm going to tackle the dosing first. And then I'll kick it over to Lori, who can then talk a little bit about the modes of delivery and the implications for patients as well as clinicians who are working with patients. So, we, whenever possible, like to default to the literature. Um, And so, there has been a consensus recommendation through a Delphi study. So, experts have come together to talk about their clinical practice. And it was an international group, as well as review some of the literature. And here is the standard way to begin to think about dosing. First, you start with a CBD um, dominant um, product. Um, And you begin with five milligrams uh, once or twice a day. If that's, if the person is not getting the relief that they're hoping for, you increase that CBD dominant um, product by five to 10 milligrams every two to three days. And then um, if they're still not reaching their um, uh, desired effect and they're at 40 milligrams, that's the time to add in one milligram of THC and then progress that THC until the effect, the desired effect is, is achieved um, with not going beyond 40 milligrams of CBD and not going beyond 40 milligrams of THC per day. Because if you're at that point, then using medical marijuana for the conditions that you have, it, May it may not be worth it, or we need to think about different products, or we need to think about different delivery methods. And now I'm going to kick it over to Lori on the delivery methods.
2: That so, just for context, the research generally, when you're reading it, they it would consider something like seven and a half milligrams or ten milligrams to be a typical dose of THC. So when Ellen says 40 milligrams of THC, that is a very high dose for for a a naive user or a typical user. However, you know, the things that Ellen was talking about, that's that's when you're introducing cannabis as as a therapy. Somebody who's been using medical marijuana for many years may have become tolerant and uses much more, but but understanding that this is where we, where we would be starting. So 40 milligrams would be quite a lot of THC, and that's why we would go looking for something else. And so the question is, how are you taking this? We know there's smoking, we know there's gummies and there's edibles, there are creams that people rub on, all all manner of ways to get this medication into your system. If you're smoking, it's much harder to talk about milligrams because how how much did you inhale? How how long did you wait between puffs? Those kinds of things are challenging. So that's if you roll your own joint and smoke it. But we have products on the market now that are more vaporizers or puffers and they can deliver a dose one click is one dose and then it's much much more measurable inhaling any kind of inhaling vapor smoking whatever it is very quick onset it's where you're going to get the fastest onset it's also going to leave your body uh, you know the most the most rapidly when you uh Just eat an edible, a gummy, a cookie, whatever it is. Now you're going through digestion. When you go through digestion, it is a whole different ballgame. What have you eaten? Um, Cannabis is lipophilic. It likes fats. So if you're eating something, if you're eating your cannabis with a higher fat uh, content meal, whatever it is, it's going to speed through your system more quickly. And it will take onset, it could be anywhere up to two hours. So you take something, you're not going to feel much of an impact for 90 minutes to two hours, but it could go take four to six hours to exit, you know, to, to exit your body and to, and to decrease that impact. So these have implications with when do you take it what relief you want and you really need to talk to somebody to explain or to or to figure out what is it that you're looking for particularly with chronic pain then there's tinctures under the tongue where where you drop it under your tongue and allow all that blood supply the rich blood supply to absorb the the preparation that is a faster onset not quite as quick as as smoking but much faster than edibles and so again depending on your symptoms and depending on what you're looking for a tincture under the tongue might be the right thing because it will get into your system let's say in 15 to 20 minutes and hang out there for the same four hours or so and so it really depends and then you've got patches and creams it's much much harder to tell somebody how how quickly it will work how long it will work because the, that depends a lot on the osmosis through the skin and so there's much less research much much less data on that but nevertheless many 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 patients are using creams for an arthritic joint for an area that hurts i hear it all day long i've been using cbd cream on this and i'm like is it helping They say, yes. I'm like, you just keep doing that. And I I have no information as to how much you're doing, whether it's actually working, but I don't care because it's no harm, no foul. Uh, Do no harm. You can use a CBD cream and maybe if it's helping you, that's wonderful. And it, you know, it's not hurting you. It's provided it's not creating a skin rash. So, I, th- I think it's I think it's useful to understand all the different modes so that you can choose wisely. You know, and we do that in our own medication. Sometimes a medication is an injection. Sometimes a medication you swallow, swallow a pill, sometimes you chew something. So sometimes you take an oral. So it, 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 it's, it really is like all the medications we already know. We just need to apply the knowledge we have. To this thing that we've been taught is, you know, verboten.
0: And I like how you, um, how Alan, you presented where the the majority of clinicians who are prescribing it are putting are recommending lower doses and have a specific progression. Um, listeners out there, you might come across this this concept that was called like the minimal effective dose. We don't necessarily have to take everything all at once because it might actually overload our system if you haven't built up a tolerance you might actually cause a a whole bunch of just unpleasant reactions if you've taken too much too soon and so to be able to have that say a uh, titration system where you be able you are able to say, all right, if this isn't helping, let's add a little bit more. That's a very similar standard that happens in typical medicine, where if the desired effect isn't happening, they either change the dosage or change the delivery method as well. And so being able to see what those various different options are, um, I think is really helpful because a lot of people think, all right, well, I just need to smoke. I don't want to smoke, or um looking at because because there's already so much information that's out there already, you're seeing dispensaries open up New Jersey out here in California. It's it's the birthplace of dispensaries out here. So there's so many different ways to consume cannabis that it can in fact be very overwhelming. And so uh, we talked about chronic. Oh, go ahead, Lori. Well,
2: I just want to say one thing about that, because uh, even though I'm from New Jersey, when I'm in California, when I'm in Colorado, Washington State, you know, it's, it's a fun activity to go visit these dispensaries. And it is overwhelming, even for me, knowing a lot. And I look at the wall of pre-rolled joints or I look at the wall of, you know, of cannabis and the percentages of THC in what you're able to buy. If you really aren't well you know, grounded in understanding what's going on, you could you could make a serious mistake and pick something with so much THC that even one puff is is you know, a maximal dose. And so, you know, you could certainly speak to a bud tender or to whoever is at the dispensary, but it it is wise to understand a little bit more about this and start with the, with the lower doses, you know, of things. So, yeah. For,
0: for sure. And so um, we talked about uh, it's use in chronic pain. Um, let's talk about sciatica specifically. So um listeners you're you're on this episode because you're looking at could there be possible opportunities for the use of cannabis to be dealing with my sciatica and again listeners sciatica is just a symptom symptom it's a description of a symptom it's it's describing that your sciatic nerve is irritated it could be irritated because of a disc because of arthritis it could be due to um say even just the muscle tension that your body creates due to all the anxiety that you are experiencing so there's a lot of different causes to sciatica. And just like uh, Laura and Ellen were talking about, when it comes to pain, there's many different systems that act in the pain system. And so when you're having just say like morphine, for example, they're working on the opiate system there, um, there's some really cool effects as Laura was discussing and uh, Laura and Ellen were discussing in, uh, in chronic pain. And so um, for you two, have you, come across anything in regards to uh, say nerve irritation and and its ability to be impacted by something like cannabis? Um,
1: Yes, Uh, so there have been a few studies that have looked at at different types of neuropathic pain, pain that is coming from either central or peripheral uh, nerve issues, uh, nervous system problems. And once again, we we try to go to the recommendations, not just based on one clinical trial, um, but looking at systematic reviews or meta analyses, because these are collections of several, say, clinical trials um, and looking at those conclusions. And fortunately for us, um, there was not, there was a clinical practice guideline that was published this year. And what that means is that they have had a panel of experts who have looked at the scientific evidence and have graded it and made recommendations. And their first recommendation was, and I'm almost quoting, the use of uh, cannabinoids um, as a monotherapy or a replacement or as an adjunct treatment in people living with chronic pain including central and or peripheral neuropathic pain, has been demonstrated to improve pain outcomes. And that comes with a strong recommendation with moderate quality evidence. So in that review, um, if, if a physician is reading the clinical practice guidelines or a PT is for should we consider cannabis for managing chronic pain in people who have central or peripheral neuropathic pain, the answer would be yes, based on moderate quality evidence. Um, And we also see that in some of these other studies um, that have done meta-analysis like Joe Hall did one and Yanes did one, they they often include people with a wide, wide range of chronic pain conditions. So they don't necessarily exclude people who have pain-related sciatica or, or other neurological conditions. And once again, we find that the recommendations based on the analysis of all of these studies is to consider using cannabis for pain management. I just, I,
2: Ellen is definitely the research arm of our partnership. So I go, I whatever she says, I think from a clinical standpoint, when I think about it clinically, you know, it's it's generally speaking, as a as a practitioner, you work with a person and you try to find out what is the origin of that nerve irritation. And as and actually, as you said, it might be muscle tightness, stiffness, spasm that's irritating the nerve. Well, cannabis in its you know long before it was, was long before it was uh, legal anywhere in the country, we always knew that. Some of our patients were using cannabis, you know, illicitly for muscle spasms because they didn't like the pharmaceuticals. They didn't like the side effects of the pharmaceuticals. But if you had muscle spasms that you needed to manage people, you know, some of the patients were using weed. And there's there is some research about decreasing muscle spasm with the use of cannabis. And so if the origin of the pain is this, then we could we could look at that. I wanted to just say one thing, which is kind of funny. Um, in, in 2003, the United States government uh, requested a patent and was issued a patent to use cannabis as a neuroprotectant and an anti-inflammatory. And there's a, you, know, you can you it's public knowledge. You can get the you can get the uh, the language of that patent, and that was long before we had you know it's 20 years ago long before we had decent research the kind of research that Ellen just spoke of but the government the federal government knew that there was some benefit of cannabis and the cannabinoids for neuroprotection and for anti-inflammatory effects and so you know I think that we have reason to believe with The research that Ellen talked about, but also the fact that our government went out and got a patent, that there must be something here. It's a matter of using it appropriately.
0: Absolutely. Um, It's a it's a tool. It's a resource for us to be able to um, really uh, extend um, the the other opportunities and options that people can use and follow through to manage their pain. And so. I love how you two are approaching this um, the same way I do from a scientific perspective in regards to how this can actually help our patients and how can this help our clients and how can this actually uh, serve in the medical community. And so for the listeners out there who are hearing this information, and um, again, thank you so much for your time today. And they're thinking, okay, I think it's time for me to start considering looking into cannabis. Um What are some of the considerations and action steps that you recommend them taking? Um, And we'll say if they can, uh, as uh, obviously in the most legal way, they they live in a state where it's a little bit easier to access. What are some of the things to consider? What are some action steps that they should take if they're looking into cannabis?
1: I'm going to let Lori handle this because she has a whole lot of different patients and different scenarios in which she's needed to advise them on just this topic.
2: You know, when when you talk about considerations, I mean, it's such a broad topic, but but definitely let's just let's just agree that the person has decided they will use a cannabis preparation. If we're at that stage, then there are a lot of considerations like time of day. What when when would you like to use this medication and and which way will you ingest it? What is best for your body? for the symptom relief that you're interested in, but also you live in a world and you, and how, you know, it might not be appropriate at lunchtime at your place of work to vape or to smoke. So how will we manage that? Or you're, you need to drive somewhere and not unlike other medications that might make you tired or make, make you feel differently. um, When should you take it is a very big consideration. But I think if, if a person is not yet decided whether cannabis is the appropriate, uh, medication, then it's really about educating yourself. And, and rather than reading the New York times or the wall street journal or any other med, you know, any of these, you know, any, you know, social media posts, it it really is about coming to understand the terminology. What is THC? What is CBD? Are they the same? Are they different? Um, so just just quickly, uh, I just recently had a situation where a 21-year-old woman, she had a concussion, it was a, a long struggle through her teenage years uh, with symptoms, and she finally settled on 2.5 milligrams of THC, which helped her be successful through her through her high school and college years, and now she has an internship, a coveted internship, in biomedical, uh, a biomedical company based in Florida, she's here in New Jersey. They drug test her. She comes up positive for her medication, which is THC, that has been helping her for years. And they rescind the they rescind the uh, the internship because they have a zero tolerance policy. She's devastated. She's looking for an alternative, and we discussed CBD that perhaps just like Ellen said we could start with you know low doses of cbd and build up to see if it helped her with her symptoms the question she asked me is will it come up on a drug test and she didn't know after using uh cannabis for several years she had no reason to understand that drug screening looks for a metabolite of thc and will not detect cbd but only if that CBD is purchased and reliable, purchased in a reliable place and it has a reliable label, because some CBD is dirty, and the THC content is is problematic. So there's a lot to understand. And if a person is trying to think about, do we want to uh, use cannabis at all, you really need to educate yourself. And speaking to a healthcare professional who understands this, great idea. Um, our website provides a huge amount of information and has a, a glossary of terms, so that if you walk into a dispensary, you're not overwhelmed with language that you're unaccustomed to, because you, wh- wh- whoever educated you on the language of cannabis. So I, I think that I, maybe there's a lot more. Ellen, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but but it's a big top. It's a big question. It's a big question.
1: Yeah, I think that um, Laura and I feel as though, as rehabilitation providers, we spend a lot of time with our patients. We get to know their lifestyle and we get to understand what's bothering them, what's important to them. Um, And therefore we are in a great position to be able to have this conversation with our patients, but we need to be knowledgeable about that topic. Time and time again, we hear from our patients who go to see their um, primary care physician, there's not enough research, so I'm not gonna recommend it. Um, Or you have some risk factors and I'm scared about, you know, approving a medical marijuana card for you. And uh, that may not be 100% correct. It may be that that primary care provider is really just not knowledgeable about about the topic of cannabis and its application for medical conditions
0: and that makes a ton of sense i mean it's hard to to stay up to date in all the updated research and i mean as you as you two have broken into the uh, physical therapy and cannabis space i mean that's a lot of that's what a lot of our peers will say, right? A lot of our peers will say, well, there's not a roof research. And I mean, you two have done a ton of extensive research. And even, even before this call, um, I was doing the research and was surprised on how much information and how much of truly clinical research there has been. And so um, would it make sense for patients to to advocate for themselves? So say, for example, if they believe that they think that cannabis could be helpful for them and they're talking to the provider who doesn't necessarily have all the information, would it make sense to say, all right, well, perhaps it might be a good idea to speak with another clinician who has a little bit more experience in the cannabis world? to be able to see, would you be a good candidate? I mean, there's so much information that is out there, right? And we're contributing more information out to the ecosphere. Really a large part of it is being able to see how does this apply to the patient? How does this apply to myself? And every person is uh, unique. We have all our individual needs, also our own physiologies, but being able to to speak with someone as knowledgeable as yourselves, or even another, another practitioner who's in the cannabis space could give us a better idea. And in some cases. Cannabis might be a fantastic idea. In other cases, cannabis might not be. But we won't necessarily know if we don't have the opportunity.
2: You know, Ashley, one thing that, you know, a question is when would cannabis not be appropriate? Because, of course, I think depending on what your point of view is, cannabis is always appropriate. But but that's that can't possibly be true. And l- let's be honest. Cannabis, the way people smoke it or grow it in their own homes, because that's a that's a huge factor, is a plant. And if you have allergies to certain chemicals in a plant, this is not the right medication for you. And you have to be careful. So so you make a point about, uh, you know, sometimes it's not appropriate.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's a reality. I mean, not everything is gonna work for everyone. And I think it's important for us to absolutely recognize that. And so, um, Lori, Ellen, thank you so much for this information. It's really helpful to be able to put it in a digestible way because there's so much overwhelming information and it's going to continue to roll out, especially as the the governments um, start to make it even more readily available, which I think is exciting, but also overwhelming at the same time. And so for the listeners out there who are thinking, okay, this is fantastic. um, Maybe I have a couple of questions for Lori and Ellen. What is the best way for the listeners to get in touch with you?
2: okay, so PT cannabis info you can see it in Ellen's it's my shirt but Ellen's uh, backdrop. We have a fairly robust website that is all about education. no selling of anything it's it's all about education. We do do continuing education workshops. Uh, we've done we did a talk at uh, the physical therapy combined sections meeting uh, shortly before covid. Uh, we just gave a, a talk for Rutgers University. And so those are obviously good places to gather more information, but the website is a great place to start.
0: Beautiful. There con um the website information will actually be put in the show notes. So um, if you didn't get that, you'll be able to click on that um the, the information. So uh Dr. Anderson, Dr. Zucker, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so That's much. Honestly, best of luck with everything you're doing.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.